Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to our wrestling podcast. So, without further ado, the following podcast is scheduled for one fall, and today's topic, the legacy and tragedy of Chris Benoit. for one fall with a 20-minute time limit. Introducing first, from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, he weighs 232 pounds, Chris Benoit. Welcome to the OWP. This is our wrestling podcast. This is Dave along with Jess. Hello. And cuz. Hey, brother. He's finally back, bringing you our perspective on the world of professional wrestling. No inside sources, no ties to the industry, just stories from the diehards sharing opinions with you. And now on to our topic today, the legacy and tragedy of Chris Benoit. As always, you can reach us via Instagram at OWP2019, SoundCloud at Our Wrestling Podcast, YouTube at Our Wrestling Channel, or just do the easy thing. Download the WrestlePost app at no charge to you and join us along with other great podcasts of the day. Hey, guys, um, what do you say? I know we got some stuff coming up. I know King of the Ring is uh, hot and heavy and uh, it's some fun things. You know, we're, we're two and two on the on the shot master list. I know Jess is pissed about it. He's all he thinks I'm cheating, whatever. Uh, but what do you guys say about that? What do you say about this episode we got coming up? It's it's going to be a tough one, but um, I think a lot of people don't explore it because they think it's taboo. But you also kind of diminish the career if you don't. So it's a it's a it's a, a damned if you do, damned if you don't scenario. What do you guys think? Well, um, two things. One, you're going to fucking lose a tournament. I'm not worried about that. That's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> number two, uh, we'll see. Number two, we'll see. Um, I I I'm not going to speak for you two. I'm going to let you guys speak for yourselves, but. As far as as far as excuse me, I said go ahead. Of course, <laughs> um, like already, I, I don't even know why he like he probably is just <laughs> innocent right now, and I already want to be like shut the fuck up, cuz. But I don't, I can't. I got to pull it back in. I got to calm myself. Um, I get ready for the vortex. I don't uh, no. See, I will not go in the vortex. That's the problem. Is like Dave will fall right in your fucking vortex and get sucked <laughs> away. And I will when we're off mic and we talk politics. Then I I do I get sucked right in the vortex. I'll be first to admit that. But um here no I am calm. I am centered. I'm going to win the King of the Ring tournament. And we're talking we'll about see. Crispin Wall. Vortex. No, I'm steering the <laughs> ship right now. We're talking about Crispin <laughs> Wall. No vortex. So okay. So I'm not going to speak for you two. I am going to speak for myself. Now, a lot of people say, well, you know, they sh- he should be put in the Hall of Fame for his body of work or he should be talked about. Bullshit. No, I don't. I don't. The reason why we're doing this or the reason why I am partaking in this. And again, I'm not going to speak for you guys because it's a serious subject. It is. Um, 
is yes, he influenced a lot of wrestlers. He's one of the main reasons why I started watching outside of the WWF when in like the early 90s to mid 90s and stuff. I really, and I'll get into it more as the episode goes on. I really like Chris Benoit. I loved his work. I loved the way he moved in the ring. I thought his wrestling was believable. It's everything that I like to watch as a fan. So I really enjoy Chris Benoit's work when it comes to that. But like, I don't, I don't like the generic blanket of, well, we're going to celebrate his work. No, we're going to, we're going to talk about his work just like we did Owen's work before what happened with him just like we did stone cold's work before he retired and warrior and all that stuff but we're going to talk about his ending and and whereas i was emotional about owen and you know it was a it was a sad note in the sense of owen was such a great person and all that stuff and i'm I'm not saying benoit wasn't a great person when he was alive in active and you know working and all that stuff but it's going to end appropriately, at least on my part, because I'm not speaking for you guys, about the way it ended, you know, about the tragedy that happened with Benoit and his wife and his son. So I, I it, people can call it a celebration. We're just we're talking about his body of work and then we're going to end at his end. Right. It, does that make any sense? Like, that's what we're doing. Yeah, we're, we're not going to cover. We're not we're glorifying cover it. it and, death, and, you know, a lot of people think, oh, it's so taboo because I, I did wrestle back and forth before I proposed that we talk about the subject. I was kind of up in the air, but then I stopped and thought, no, like a lot of his close friends like Ben or uh, uh, Jericho and Chavo and all of them have done podcasts, either if it's their own podcast or they were a guest on another podcast. A lot of people have talked about it. The only people that don't talk about it are WWE, and they shouldn't have to, and they won't, and I understand why they don't. But a lot of people have covered him, so it's just the way you cover him kind of you know determines on if it's tasteful or distasteful. I'm not one of those, and again, I'm speaking for myself, I'm not one of those people that are just like, they ignore the fact, doesn't matter what happened in the end, You should he should be celebrated. Mm, no, yeah, I will yeah. not use that word celebrated because I disagree with it, but go on. I don't want to ramble where I'm yeah. talking about. It's okay, because take it away, man. I agree. I mean, <clears throat> I think it's just one of those uh, you could, appre- you know, we as hardcore wrestling fans, we could appreciate the work, but it's just one of those things that, man, it, it, I don't blame. I don't blame them for not putting him in the Hall of Fame. I don't think he should. Uh, it's just it's one of those tough situations, man. Like, I don't I don't even know how, yeah. what else you can say. Just pretty much said all of it as far as I know. And he'll never be in there, and we can just say no, that right now. No. There, there's, there's no surprise at the end of this podcast that that's just not going to happen. And I'll tell you something else. I think um, – I know it sounds really stupid because it's not, it doesn't even compare to the tragedies. But if you think about, um, you know, warlords and dictators and, you know, the most recent one that comes to mind is is World War II and things like Hitler. If you don't, if you don't go back and look at these things, you don't remember history, you will repeat it. And – I think talking about this stuff, I know it sounds stupid, but the more people talk about it and like I said, in a, in a, in a tasteful way, hopefully WWE and other places that, that hold wrestling in their heart and really or hold it as a business too, don't make the same mistakes. I mean, Benoit is a, is a complete tragedy, him and his family, and they probably could have helped him if they had seen the signs sooner, you know? So I think while WWE can't probably technically will never be held accountable to it, they'll never have to admit that there's no way they're going to re they're, they're never going to make that mistake again, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And that mistake is a minute someone's hurt or someone's concussed. These are things you can learn from. And, you know, we're going to continue to talk about it because it's the right thing to do, you know, just like how, you know, helmets get changed, seatbelts get replaced because people die, people get hurt and they realize, Oh, we need to fix this. And that's what, that's what dialogue does. So that's what we're going to do. I mean, that's pretty simple, right? I mean, and if you th- if you think about it in that way and you keep it tasteful, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Hopefully, people will enjoy it. 
and you know we'll get started unless you guys have something else you want to say um you know how's your coffee cuz jesus it's fucking great <clears throat> actually has some liqueur in it this time oh so, please okay you, Dave, huh? no it doesn't please My ginger snapper okay fantastic good for you I'm over here drinking water. So oh, you know. hmm. why is that? Actually, Where's the gin? gin? Huh? no gin, huh? Yeah, no I'm, gin. I'm, I'm actually out of gin. I gotta go buy some more before we take shots next week. Not even a beer. So. Yeah, you're gonna need it, you motherfucker, huh? <laughs> <laughs> you need a drink for this episode, Jesus. Mm. Yeah, yeah. With mm. you guys, I need several drinks all the time. Oh. When you text me, I need drinks. But I can't drink at work, so it's fine. All right, you know. All right, here we go. So we're going to talk about Saturday. Benoit's early life, and we're going to we're going to push through some early wrestling career as well. For those of you that that do not know, uh, Chris Benoit is Canadian. If you couldn't tell by the last name, he was born in Montreal, Quebec, uh, the son of Michael and uh, Margaret Benoit. He grew up in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Uh, that's where he was built throughout the bulk of his career. When you have him coming down to the ring, and they say coming out of Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, right? Uh, during his childhood in Edmonton, he was really idolizing. He loved Tom Dynamite Kid Billington. He loved Bret Hart. And at 12 years old, he attended a local wrestling event. And he's like, those guys stood above everyone else. So he wanted to emulate himself after Bret Hart, after Dynamite Kid. So obviously, uh, where do you go to train? Does anybody remember where Benoit trains at before he gets started? Chris Benoit? We're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he trained the WWE Power Plant. Everybody knows about that. WCW Power yeah. Plant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And NXT, right? Hugh Morris. Yeah. yeah. He's no, NXT. Come on, man. Life Magazine called it the Harvard of professional wrestling. ABC's Good Morning America gave it a rave review. The WCW Power Plant will help you. He trained at the Hart Family Dungeon. What? And obviously, Stu Hart gave him that <laughs> education. Uh, he, he wanted to emulate Billington and Hart. He liked that style. Um, and he even liked the physical appearance. I mean, he really emulated these guys. So he even adopted the sharpshooter throughout his career as well. Before he went to the to the um, to the what is it the uh, cro- the crossface right the crossface cross crossface cross face. sorry if I could enunciate it'd be helpful. Anyways, we'll move on. Stampede Wrestling. He was there from eighty five to eighty nine, and he wrestled with with the, the Stu Hart Foundation. Right, um, you know you can see those similarities the similarities between Benoit and Billington. Uh, he adopted many of those moves, diving headbutts, snap suplex, which is, I can't think of too many people that have a better snap suplex yes, than Benoit. Yes, I agree. Than Chris well, Benoit. And, and the funny thing Beautiful. is, is he, he, yeah. he was built just like Dynamite Kid was, even a little smaller, dare yes. I say. But like that's yeah, so, it's so, it's so crazy about how he was drawn to Dynamite. It's like a lot of people, when they learn a craft or whatever, uh, they, they don't, some people don't are actors and actresses just you you have to watch yourself and i don't know this to be a fact i have no idea but maybe he somehow watched himself a lot and realized yeah. like oh i move like the dynamite kid and i like his style so i can emulate that like it's just kind of crazy that he did like the dynamite kid he watched it but you know there's a lot of things i watch on tv and i can't emulate because i'm not either physically gifted like that or you know i don't have the talent for that particular thing but he knew by watching dynamite specifically that that's the style he wanted to emulate and he physically was able to pull it off he was built just like him like so i don't know if he had that awareness i think it's very interesting that he gravitated toward dynamite kid rightfully so because he was built that way like i said so it's just crazy that it just was a perfect fit. Like he saw that style. He's like, sure. yep, that's me. And I'm going to do it. That's it, it really does speak to his talent because we're going to talk about it more as the episode goes on. He's amazingly gifted. I beat Kurt Henning in Seattle last Wednesday. I almost murdered the guy. 
and now I've got the belt. I am the true champion. Nobody's going to take this belt away from the Dynamite Kid. Now, can anyone to championship match? Yeah, no, absolutely. And his first title was ever won. Obviously, it was uh, the Stampede British Commonwealth Mid Heavyweight yeah. Championship. That's a mouthful. Yeah, nobody cares. On about March eighteenth, nineteen eighty-eight, against Kama Singh. And he actually would win four international tag team and three more British Commonwealth titles. He had a lengthy feud with Johnny Smith, lasted over a year, um, and they would trade that British Commonwealth title back and forth. So uh, Stampede closed its doors later in 89, and he got a recommendation uh, to depart and actually attend uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling. A lot of people love that. This was a completely different New Japan uh, to be honest, it's it's actually quite amazing. Uh, uh, the gentleman that actually recommended him was Bad News Brown to uh, that's, Japan. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that is right. Uh, it's it, that's exactly who it was. Of all people, right? I mean, yeah. Oh, he's good. You know. Well, Vegas and, and so I, to speak, I, I get. I know. Again, we have to pick this up, but sure. The a, another intelligent thing that he did was there's two types of wrestling like mindsets. You either love it. And and back here in like the late '80s, you treated it like a sport. You wanted to protect yes. that part of it, um, or you understood the cartoon aspect of it, and you wanted to kind of go to the American side. Which, at the time, WCW was trying. You know, they were getting away. They'd already been bought by Turner, so they were getting away from the serious side of wrestling. Because NWA, the Crockett promotion, and the NWA itself always hyped itself as like more stiffer style and real wrestling. It was like America's version of like New Japan. And WWF was completely cartoon and over the top and big characters and bubblegum and all this stuff where in the late 80s, after Turner bought WCW, you know, against their will, they ended up severing ties with the NWA and be trying to copy WWF to make the monies. And so they just couldn't like they 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 were just in a state of flux like they couldn't get it right so benoit yep. knew what he liked and he liked the art of professional wrestling he liked the side of it that and, and also he knew that if i go to the united states even though wcw did kind of cater to normal size people not normal size like muscular stature but like 510 511 you know those guys yeah, you go to average. wwf fuck you're done in the late 80s right you hulk hogan six foot seven you know even though macho man was like six foot it's still decent size for a person but he was like 235, 240 pounds. Like, you know, you had King Kong Bundy, the one man gang, Andre the Giant. You had all these big people, huge people in WWE. 400 pound guys, yeah. They called it the land of the giants for a reason in there. And then they did have people like Bret Hart who even tried to bloat himself and get big and all that. But then those guys were always mid card to to bottom of the mid card, the good wrestlers. Vince just used them to work and put over the big stars like Warrior and Hulk and Savage. I'm not saying Savage can't work, but you know what I mean. So, like, it just was a, Benoit again made another intelligent choice choice of like i want to go to japan because i love pro wrestling he was trained in Stu hart's dungeon that whole family had it ingrained in them like you learn this it's an art form learn it learn how the ligaments tear to not do it some to someone in real life but you got to learn and get stretched here so you can emulate that when you get on you know the inside the squared circle and so benoit was super intelligent to go he had nothing you know holding him back he didn't have a family or kids or anything like that at the time so he just went to japan and started honing his craft and that seriously defines him to me as far as like his body of work because that's who he was he never it's like he always knew who he was physically it's weird 
It's really weird. I think the uh, I think the snugness of New Japan, just to, to put it mildly, it is, is is exactly what Benoit is, and that's what he that's what he rolled into. I mean, Benoit made everything believable up into every right hand, every every move, every wear down hold. It looked like he was hurting anybody, and he was safe too. But he was snug. You know, that's just that's really truly really kind of the term for it. And you know, he debuted there in '86, and he actually Vegas. debuted under his real name. But in 89, he started wearing a mask, assuming the name. Should I quiz you or should I just tell you? Because you're going to give me a bullshit name anyway. Ask me the question properly before you get crazy. No, I'm not going to do that. Ask me the question, Dave. I'm going to be serious. We're dead serious right now. So, okay. In 89, he started wearing a mask and assuming the name of what? The Red Rooster Chris Benoit. Go on. The Pizzle Kizzle. Pegasus, Pegasus yeah. kid, the Pegasus kid. Oh, okay. And numerous I didn't know times that. he he said he, he hated like the mask, but he said it also became a part of him. Whatever, blah blah blah. And while rude. he was in New Japan, That's he really rude. came into his uh, own as as Jess talks about. I'm just going to keep going. Huh? And he had matches with some great people. We're talking about Jushin Thunder Liger, uh, Liger. Title, baby. Uh, we had Jeez. Otani. We had El Samurai. We also had Black Tiger, which I'll just let you quiz it again. Who was Black Tiger? Uh, some someone who's very racist, unless he was black. Let me tell you that right now. If he's not yeah, black, well, he, he's he, a racist son of a bitch. He wasn't. He wasn't black, but okay. he was Eddie Guerrero. <laughs> for those of you that want to know, I really think that you guys should go back and ignore Jess and his bullshit, and then <laughs> black take Tiger, a look brother. at take a look at some of these matches with Benoit. <laughs> He he goes way back with Guerrero, by the way. I mean, what? they are so tight. That, that's why they were so close. I mean, they were working together even in like eighty nine. So original Hollywood, you know. Yeah. Well, like, why go. did someone else name Guerrero? I wonder. Like, does your Black Tiger? Like, why wouldn't he be, have been Brown Tiger? <laughs> Sorry, oh. I'm so immature. I'm I, immature. I, I'm immature. I don't know. Dave, I don't I'm immature. Know. Anyway, well, I would have been White Tiger. Ninety. If it was me, I would have been White Tiger. It's funny. Before we before we start recording these huh? episodes, we got to blow through this, Dave. And they just fucking refused. In awesome. 1990, wow. he won his first major championship, the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship from Jushin Thunder Liger. Thunder. And he eventually lost that title in November of 90. Why would you let me talk about history? I don't understand it. Yeah, well, I, I don't know. I, I, you said we got to get through this. I'm just trying to get through it. Oh, shit. Uh, oh. So when he won that championship and then he goes back, he actually reinvented himself as well. Pegasus, uh, back, you know, at, at that time. And he spent the next couple of years in Japan. He was winning the best of super juniors, the tournaments there, I think twice in 93 and 95. Uh, he went on to win the inaugural super J cup tournament in 94, defeating black tiger. Uh, is it Gato and the great Suzuki in the finals? He wrestled outside new Japan and he competed in Mexico and Europe. He won a few regional championships there he actually uh, won the WWF Light Heavyweight Championship, and he held that title for over a year, um, having many 40-plus matches with Villano 3. I don't even know who that is. Who is that? you know who that is, Jess? Seriously? Villano 3? I mean, I don't know who is under the mask, but I know who Villano 3 is. Uh, no. Arturo Diaz Mendoza. Right. Yeah, there you go. Second-generation wrestler, <laughs> right. son of Luchador Ray Mendoza. He was uh, originally the Purple Tiger, just so you know. Is that true? No. Are you just fucking with us? <laughs> oh, damn it. You're such a dick. It's just We're that, no, see, this, this is real. the dynamic that we have to have, <laughs> is that I'm glad that you power through, because I need that. Because this shit, All right. it, it, as important as it is, and just like Austin's Texas we stuff, gotta get and, through it. we got to get through it, and, and Owen's Canadian stuff, 
Like I, I know it's super important because the roots of someone is very important. But like, I don't know, my eye just gets so bored. But yeah, <laughs> it's fun. true. It's true. It's, oh. it's a lot of stuff. So that being said, no, keep going. Don't listen year, to me. Keep going, Dave. He spends a year in WCW. Um, he actually came there in 1992, June of that year. Yes. Now uh, actually, I do have to interrupt you here on a serious note. Yeah, he was part of the television championship tournament that Paul Orndorff would ultimately win. Other mm-hmm. people that were in that tournament was a very young Rob Van Dam was also in that tournament. Uh, just to name someone to throw a name out there, huh? But I, this is when I first saw him because I was watching WCW. What are you talking about? 92, right? Yeah, 92, 93. He popped up in WCW basically to be a part of the television tournament, which I want to say, I can't remember the exact date when Orndorff won it, but uh, I think Orndorff won it like mid, mid 93. So he came in there, he was doing some like WCW TV tapings and stuff. He was put in that big tournament. It was a decent tournament that lasted like a month or so for the TV title. And, um, and <clears throat> Benoit was a part of it. And that's when I first saw him because I'd never seen him before. And I was just like, dude, who's this guy? This guy, I, j- I was immediately attracted to like his work rate and the way he moved in there. And he did remind me of dynamite kid, but I was just more of like, this guy's really good. You could just tell. And this is from my yeah. age where I was like, you know, the sophomore junior in high school where I was getting to understand, like, I like good workers. You know, I like I like certain way people sure. fall. Like, I didn't really know what work rate was yet, you know, because I was still kind of young and I was getting it. But at the same time, like, I, I knew when someone fell good and and reacted good and sold good, that clicked with me. And Benoit was one of those guys that I got in there and I watched his offense and I was like, this guy's really good. So that, as a fan, I started tape trading. And that's when I started getting tapes from Japan to watch him as Wild Pegasus and stuff like that. So I didn't mean to interrupt you, but yeah. this is where I no, first saw him. And I was like, God damn it, this guy's good. And I knew he was small and I didn't care. Yeah. I just wanted to watch him. He was that good. Yeah. He's the, he and he was that good and he <clears> is that good. And in all that time frame, he was actually still technically part of New Japan for that time frame. He, he like I said, just you you, you know, he hit it on the head. He kind of rolls in and rolls out. And rolls back to Japan, but he had some matches with two two cold Scorpio. Um, Those were excellent. Took it all the way to the, yeah the twenty minute time limit. Um, he formed a tag team with Bobby Eaton. Um, he and Eaton lost to Scorpio and Bagwell Slamboree, but after that happened, he had he just went back to Japan. Um, so he got he in, been, in the he Super Bowl three match uh, too. Just in the Super Bowl three match, he got pinned by Scorpio with like five seconds left in the match. It was really cool. Yeah, it you says thought, three here. It's like three or five. Yeah, you thought it was going to go to a draw, and then Scorpio ended up whipping him over and getting him in a cradle. And there was another one. I want to say it was the tag match that you just talked about. Him and Bobby Eaton against uh, Scorpio and Bagwell, which was a really good it match. Was, uh, Pil- I just remember there the was, ending. Uh, there, well, there was the tag team championship. They were defeated by Pillman and Jushin Thunder. Like, no, this is the one at Slamboree 93. At Slamboree 93, yeah. it was uh, Benoit and Eaton against uh, uh, Two Cold oh, and yes, Bagwell. Yeah. And the finish. Yeah, there's that too. Right. I, I don't know. This sticks out to me the most. The This uh, Two Cold. Besides saving people from getting stabbed in a hallway uh, in England, um, jumped off the top rope and he did a flip like he jumped off the top rope and did a flip into a fucking lay drop on his prone opponent. And Benoit happened to be his prone opponent on this one. And he fucking his ass landed right on Benoit's fucking face. If you go back and watch that. So it was it was just showed how tough Benoit was. But I have this vivid memory of that. I don't know why I had to interrupt you for that, because there's one of my memories of Benoit where it was a good match. And I was in in two cold Scorpio just sat on his fucking face. It's pretty gnarly like he just, he just he just over um overextended on it huh 
He just okay. what he did. He did the flip, but instead of landing with like you know at landing a leg drop with the guy's neck like right where like your knee bends, you know. Like yeah, he fucking sat on his fucking face. Like <laughs> that was great. Oh goodness! I don't know why that reminds me of when Booker T did it to Big Show and pinned him like twenty seconds. On, when he was on his way up to fighting Triple H, they were kind of pushing him. Oh yeah, do that same little flip off the, the yeah yeah flip. yeah, kind of crazy. You just don't see that very often. You would think more people would do it too. It's kind of a cool move, but I haven't seen it in a while. If Maybe you do it wrong, you almost murder motherfuckers, huh? <laughs> Pun intended. Yeah, oh, there you go. All right, well that takes us into '94 because we talked about he went back to Japan, but then it wasn't for very long. Uh, he, but he, in also in, in the middle of all that, cause he's kind of blending, right? He's, he's working multiple, uh, places. So he's, that's where it starts, uh, ECW in 94. Um, he begins, he does that in between the Japan tours and he was booked as a dominant wrestler there. Cause quite frankly, there wasn't a lot of huge people in ECW. He's probably one of the biggest guys, you know? So, um, so he's, he's uh, getting notoriety as the crippler Chris Benoit at this point. Uh, he competed in a one night eight man tournament for the vacant NWA World uh, Heavyweight Championship, but he lost once again to, to Cold Scorpio. Uh, these guys just had incredible matches. And on November, uh, November to remember, Benoit, just a little side note, accidentally broke Sabu's neck, his neck within opening seconds yes. of the match. Um, he threw Sabu with the intention Let as he head. takes the face first pancake bump, uh, but Sabu attempted to turn midair and take a back bump instead. He did not achieve full rotation and landed almost directly on his neck. I find that interesting. They say that I said that say Benoit broke his neck, but Sabu broke his own. Well, neck can I can I soul. you know this is going to yeah. get off topic here, or whatever. But like you know, I saw I was on Facebook and I'm you know friend um not friends, but part of like these rest these different wrestling groups. You know, that have some have a couple thousand people in it. And one of the topics yeah, yeah. was who did you just see for the first time or you heard of someone hype. And you just watch him and you're like, I don't get it. I just don't like him at all. And Sabu was my answer because I <laughs> no, I know he was a big staple of ECW and everyone talked about People him in magazines him, yeah. and stuff. And he was like one of the indie darlings in the mid nineties and stuff. And I get it, but yeah. God damn it. He botched all the time. He was an awful wrestler. He was mega oh, dangerous. The reason why people yeah. forget about a lot of shit he did was because he would equally try to kill himself. So that kind of balanced it out. Like he had no fear, like in the yeah. sense of he would, he would not do something or make you do something that he wouldn't do. It just turns out that he would literally jump off of, you know, fucking. He would do anything. Yeah, 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 he would backyard wrestle. So, like, yeah, he had no. Sabu had no form, no actual technical prowess, nothing like that. So you get someone like this technically sound like Benoit in there who works stiff or whatever. And then you have this wiggly shit like Sabu that just wants to wiggle and do shit awkward. And he just and he like Dave. Yeah. Dave said it perfect. He broke his own fucking neck because. I never got Sabu. He's not a good wrestler. He never was. He just like no. likes flipping through shit and landing on his head. And he's just for so you're like, oh, well, well, when you're he, and when you're a danger to yourself, you're a danger. Yes, to the and nobody gets nobody got that. I got that about Sabu right away. Going like he's not fun to watch because he's he's dangerous like in a bad way. He's dangerous like to where I'm like oh, you're gonna fuck someone up like really bad. Like this is a dance. It is. I know it's people hate it yeah. described that way, but it is. And you got to co-op with your partner, and you can make it look snug and stiff or whatever, like New Japan style. But at the same time, like you also 
have to understand what's happening. What's the end result? Meaning what bump do you have to land to complete this move? And Sabu just didn't yeah. give a shit. And like, so I don't want saying he blamed Benoit. He probably just laughed afterwards, you know, and said, oh, you got no, me good. He, he didn't blame, he didn't blame Benoit, but, ben, but Benoit blamed himself. Of course, really because Benoit was a professional. It's not his fault. Benoit was a professional. That's why. Like he was a professional. Yeah, because Benoit really felt like he hurt him and Benoit didn't hurt him. He, he did. He did lay the yeah. move out that hurt him. He was him, just in there with because- uh, the king of all botches. Did you see him land on his head? I think he, I think he broke his neck. Holy Anglesley and 911 attending to Sabu. Yeah, and that's not his fault, but still, Benoit felt responsible. Um, but instead of Heyman going, hey man, it's all right, Heyman's like, look, <laughs> we're gonna, we're gonna take this and run with it, and we're gonna call you Crippler Benoit, and that's what he the Crippler. Yeah, and that's that's what he came through when he returned to WCW. Uh, he actually modified his name to the Canadian Crippler ben- Chris Benoit. So he took that and ran with it eventually. Um, he said, uh, and Heyman actually said in his book, he planned on using Benoit as a dominant heel for a long time uh, before putting the ECW title on him uh, to be a long-term champion there. Uh, <laughs> Benoit Dimalenko won the ECW tag team titles uh, from Sabu and Taz in February of 95. Uh, that was that was actually Benoit's first American title, believe it or not. Uh, they were initiated into a triple threat stable led by uh, Shane Douglas. This is just cool shit, man. I'm telling you, this is when ECW was at its peak. Um, you know, and that was a three man contingency. They held all three of the ECW championships at the time. Malenko also held the world TV title for ECW at that time. Uh, they eventually lost to Public Enemy uh, that April uh, at ECW's three way dance. Weird freaking pay per view names. And Benoit spent some time in ECW feuding with the Steiner brothers, rekindling the feud with Two Cold Scorpio. He was forced to leave ECW after his work visa expired, of all things. Well, because Paulie was supposed to renew yeah, it. Yeah, Paulie <laughs> promised him to renew it and shit. And Paulie was a carny and he was doing everything he could do. He robbed from Peter to pay Paul. That's how ECW lasted for so yeah. long. And I, I like, I love Paul Heyman and we all do. And he's got a great creative mind. He was a fucking awful businessman and he was awful at talent relations. He lied to everybody. Yeah. He, like I said, he robbed from Peter to pay Paul. He promised Benoit, I'm going to keep your visa up to date. Don't worry. And he didn't because he lied and didn't. Only, care. only so. Someone like Heyman could make someone's career by calling him the Crippler and then forget to renew his visa. So yeah, and then, and then fucking the take time. him out of the actual promotion that actually. Yeah, you make you make him amazing, yeah. and then you make him have to leave it. Well, same ladies and gentlemen, that's Paul, Paul Heyman. You know, that. that's the that's the dark side of Paul Heyman. Nobody wants to talk about. They like to romanticize him and think that he's the savior, and he's not. Nobody's and, perfect, you know. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, he was he that was. And, I, and I'm a Paul Heyman fan. I love payroll. his creative mind, but he's got to be watched like a fucking mental patient all, at all times. Well, he should be creative. I mean, that that should be his deal. Is creative. Someone should just let him run with. But it was good because he went back to New Japan where he always had a home at. And then and then he actually WCW had a great relationship with New Japan. So he came over there and, you know, they for all the fuck ups that WCW did as far as like talent was concerned in in the sense of creative. They actually administratively when they wanted someone, they went out and got them. So somehow shit got worked out and Benoit ended up back in WCW in 95 right after Nitro debuted shortly in Germany. The Middle East, and certainly in Japan, a man who is coming to where the competition is. And he's here because he knows one thing, like every athlete in our sport. WCW, where the big boys play. Like a- yeah, like literally the same year he was back in, yeah. like within months. He was back in the he was back in the US again, uh wrestling. So 
And uh, he went back to Japan as part of the talent exchange. He went back and forth. He was um, he represented the Super J Cup that second stage. He defeated Lionheart, um, but he lost to Guido in the semifinals. Uh, and then basically he was approached by Ric Flair to uh, become a member of the Reform Four Horsemen. We talked about this um, a little bit, but uh, we had this was before the Mongo stuff. But he was actually alongside Flair, Arn Anderson, and Brian Pillman. God, that just sounds amazing. That whole Man, it always and I almost hate the fact that that, like, you know, that we can't do a podcast for like 10 hours on some of this stuff because you get into this part here in like 96 where he was in WCW and Mm -hmm. that's when his personal life kind of starts blending in. He kind of meets Nancy, uh, who was woman, who was married to Kevin Sullivan at the time in real life. And so they start kind of having a romance and then they sort of, you know, Kevin Sullivan and Nancy have marital problems. They end up separating, but Manoir's right there to console her. eh? And then, um, and then it just kind of, it, this real life soap opera played out behind the scene. It was all real. Kevin Sullivan found out that she was secretly dating Benoit and that shit was bad and all that stuff. And and Kevin uh, uh, Sullivan happened to be the booker at the time, which is not very good in the company that you work for when you sleep with that person's wife or, or try to steal her away. Yeah. And they, it's funny because they, they wanted to keep kayfabe as close as possible. So they had to share uh, hotel rooms. They'd hold hands in public. Uh, so kayfabe, they were really trying to keep it there, and it, it became not kayfabe. And then he kayfabed his penis real, real. in her area, and then uh, it's it's the ultimate <laughs> it's the ultimate uh, character commitment. Why why are you offended, cuz? I don't well, understand. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not. not I'm not offended. <laughs> I, think, I think it's kind of funny. I'm not. I'm super. I've, been holding, same time, it's like, I've been holding back, so that's why I'm like, okay, well, if we're gonna go, I mean, hey, so I'm just gonna blow my well, wad figuratively. I, mean, I, I hate this. I hate to sound like that guy, but if if you had to, I mean, it sounds like a step up to me, bro. I mean, Kevin Sullivan's just. Pile of dog shit that would work. That would work I mean. perfect, though. Like you know, if Kevin's all mad, he's like, "What?" I'd be like, "I was fucking fully in character. I was the crippler having sex with woman. Like you know what I mean? Like I would play. It wouldn't work. I'm not saying this would work. I'm just saying this she would be my answer. He worked like a big guy in the ring. That's why she left him. Yeah. She's like, "What the fuck yeah. are you doing? You're a midget. You should." Well, like like Ben Wa- like Ben Was Andre the Giant. She likes short people apparently. Compared but to Kevin Sullivan, my thing of <laughs> she. <laughs> She's yeah. but maybe you know what, what I'm. But, what's funny is uh, is is Benoit even says like they they continued the feud on camera and stuff and Benoit said he never took liberties on me for what I did. No, this is what this is actually the interesting there. thing. You know, like yeah. I in a separate episode, I'll I'll say what a pile of shit I thought Kevin Sullivan was in the ring behind the scenes. He was very creative and he was a good guy. Never heard a negative thing about Kevin Sullivan, but I absolutely hate kevin sullivan as a pro wrestler he's awful yeah. he's sloppy he's terrible and i i gotta stop right there because i'll fucking go off forever about him i can't stand yeah. watching Welcome him in the ring do it he's awful he's terrible <laughs> but what he did that was right was they had a street fight at in 96 i want to say it was bash at the beach 96 or great american bash it might have been both i don't remember i think it was both i think yeah. great american bash they had it they had a false count anywhere match and it was phenomenal. And they went up the stairs of the arena. They fucking fought in the bathroom. Like they did great. I mean, we see a lot of that stuff now, but this was like groundbreaking back here. And like they, like Kevin Sullivan completely played to Benoit's strengths and they had an amazing match with each other. It put Benoit on the map because like you didn't know he could really go like that. You knew that he was a, was a great wrestler in the ring, but you saw that he was the toughest shit. But it, this is part of what makes Benoit so great or did make him so great in my eyes as a performer was he was super well-rounded. You should be able to professional wrestle in the ring and outside the ring. It's all professional wrestling. You just adapt your surroundings, right? Like, and he understood how to do that. So some wrestlers can't, you say you're in a street fight. They're like, I don't know what to do. Like Austin, when he first heard he was in a submission match against Bret Hart at Mania 13, he was like, I don't have any submission holds. And then when him and Bret talked, he was like, 
oh, we're going to professional wrestle. I get it. Like, right? Like, you just take that surrounding yeah. and you professional wrestle around it. Like, I don't know. It sounds like an ignorant like statement I'm saying, but it's true. And so Benoit well, it's got more, it's, it. It's, it's, sometimes people make it too complicated. Yeah, Benoit got it just like Austin got it. And they went and they fucking tore the house down. And I want to say they rematched yeah. a Bash of the Beats 96 where it was like a tag match or something. I think it was like... He said, nobody messes with me. Sullivan prone. Swan down. Oh, I don't want to see this. Turn out the light. This One, party's over. Two, well, that was a retirement match. Retirement match. It wasn't a tag match. You're right. You're right. Mm -hmm. Like wasn't Anderson and Benoit's corner or some shit. It was weird. It was all this stuff or whatever. But then then they had another good match. That way Sullivan could focus on booking. That's where he was. This put Benoit to me on the map in the U.S. because I was like, I liked him before. And I was like, now he's showing everybody that he's really fucking good. Like he had no personality. Benoit had a real hard time with the promos, let's say. I don't think he ever mastered it. And I think that's the one thing if we, you know, as we go forward in this episode that that held him back was that he just never had a character. He was given great nicknames like the Crippler and all that stuff, and he let his body language talk in the ring. He almost needed a manager, like a mouthpiece. It's weird. I don't, I'm not saying I have a suggestion or anything, but like, yeah, like he just, he had so many gifts except that one, that one. So when when people always bitched early on about boring, what... Boring, huh? Huh? I said he was boring. was definitely the biggest night of my career. The night I faced the world champion. The night I faced two of the greatest wrestlers in the entire history of this business. The night. He kind of, no, uh, it was not He was. No, I mean, his personality was. It's like every, is, every promo was like, in the ring tonight, Kevin Sullivan, I'm going to take you down, and I'm going to cripple you. And I'm gonna beat you. That was every single Benoit. You know, and I love. I you know love how, Benoit. You know how and I'm being didn't honest. Have to say you know? anything at all, Jess? Huh? Like Demon Linko didn't have to say anything to anybody. Well, Dean that's Malenko also just came down that, that was pissed off. But that's why Dean and, Malenko and him never. Well, Benoit ended up rising. I think Benoit was a major overachiever as we get long, going in his career. But like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like that, that's that was probably the best way they could have handled him was just don't let him say anything because when he would come down, he looked like he was gonna kill somebody. Like he was gonna. He was. Pardon the uh, the expression there, but I mean he he um, wow. he had that look yeah. on his face like yeah. it, it's it's going down. We're going right there. And, We're going um, there. Right? It's this is this is what's going to happen to you, and he didn't have to say anything. Just like Malenko never had to say anything. Malenko was as intimidating as hell when he walked down to the ring, and I think the only reason why Malenko probably didn't surpass Benoit because his his career ended sooner. You know, so yeah, Malenko was the same I, way. I wasn't trying to make a pun. Yeah, like yeah, like Benoit had that look. Their presence you know? was super strong. And then when Malenko would talk, he'd yeah. be like, uh, "Jeff Jarrett, ah, we're gonna wrestle and shit." Ah, oh, fuck. Ah, <laughs> oh, damn it. Let's just never go. And like, yeah, he would never like. He always like swallowed his own tongue, Malenko. Like that. Yeah, those guys shouldn't have. They should have never said anything. The more quiet they were, the better they yeah. were. So anyway, you know? so yeah, so that's and, I mean that's that's rare I, but you, so we can know. move on in the sense of and I'm not trying to cut anybody yeah. off. I'm just saying like I know we have to move on sure. for time. But I mean like that was his that was the major highlight of his WCW career, like in the middle there in '96, because the NWO was hot and like all that was yeah. going. And he had to fight all that, and he was part of like a second rate horseman group, and like oh, not not second rate because of him, but because Flair was '90, Anderson was '92, and like and then they had Mongo, and who knows what to do with him, huh? And so it's just kind oh, of like God. they didn't know what to do with in Benoit when the right people wanted to work with Benoit. Shit was good, but Bischoff never really gave a fuck about Benoit, so it's like eh, I'm all about the NWO kid, like, and he never, but. Some of the, you know, 
over the years that he was with WCW, there would be big guys like DDP and, you know, that would get over. Not because DDP was better physically than Benoit, but DDP would be like, dude, I want to work with Benoit. Uh, Booker T wanted to work with Benoit to learn from him. And like, so I'm glad a lot of these bigger personalities that had a more natural gift of gab like DDP, they selected him because they're like, dude, fucking put me in there with Benoit. He's good. Like, so a lot of people always love Benoit on the backstage, just like the Booker's. The lazy bookers, which WCW had a lot of the lazy bookers because it was all about Bischoff was all about hiring stars that were already made and bringing them in and the NWO hit. So he's like, fuck, you're, if you're not part of the NWO, I don't give a shit. <laughs> like, so he yeah. he kind of just Benoit sort of toiled back and forth. He had the respect of everyone in the locker room. But as far as booking was concerned in the top tier of the booking, he was never thought of and never talked about because well, he was at the he was at the top of the mid card and and that, and that feud with Booker does. I that, really hate to know? say it, you know, you get the NWO in there. The core three guys were six foot six, six foot seven, and seven feet tall, or you know, like six foot eleven. You know, what I mean, like Jesus yeah, yeah. Christ, like, and then you get Benoit, who's shorter than Flair, and Flair's only like five eleven or barely six foot, yeah. and like, you know, so it's like he, it's I get it, you know, but when the cruiserweights were hot, they went toward Dean Malenko somehow fit in there, uh, Mysterio fit in there, Guerrero was in there, Jericho was in there, but Benoit never really fit in that, even though he was completely a cruiserweight, it was odd to me that they never put Benoit in there because his skill was so big and he was so talented, he wrestled like a heavyweight, he would fight anybody it didn't matter but for some odd reason they never gave him that cruiserweight stardom there and that eventually became a curse if you were considered cruiserweight in wcw towards the end especially you were doomed but i mean like it it, it's weird that they never did that with benoit they could just never figure him out in wcw they never knew he had bright spots and then it just he would fade away and he would just kind of toil yeah i think it's uh worth mentioning for as far as the work goes uh it's one of my favorite. This is going to be the first one that we mentioned since we'll talk about his uh, later career. But uh, the best of seven, the TV title, like we talked about. Justin that's another bright spot. I loved it with Booker T. I loved it. Yeah, that's yeah. one of my favorite fucking. <clears throat> that's what we were talking titles. about. We didn't. We, yeah, we didn't say best of seven, but that's really what it yes. was. And, you know, even a part where Benoit forces himself to be disqualified, trying to win it the I just right way. To it for, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and fucking... he actually he never won that title at that time either, which is interesting. He never he never got a hold of it. You know what I mean? So um, Booker won the final match and then went on to beat Finley for the for the title afterwards. It was on Thunder, wasn't it? Right, the final match was it on Uh, Thunder? It might have been. They could have been trying to push it there. Yeah, but they say that that's what elevated both their careers. That them working together on the best of seven, and then he moves on in '99. He teams up with Dean Malenko. Uh, and he wins the WCW World Tag Team titles, uh, defeating Kurt Hanning and Barry Windham. How cool is that? Um, talk about some some cool in the yeah game. in the dying years. They really tried to keep you know they tried to get Ben while he was part of the Radicals and all that stuff, which was like Saturn right. and Shane Douglas and uh, all the uh, God Malenko and Guerrero. They were trying to somehow put all these big workers together, and it just sucked because WCW, even when it was had its shit together, it never was together. But especially when it was falling apart, yeah. it was like just fucking feast or famine. If you can get on TV, great, you know. And like he clung to the people that he knew backstage, and it was unfortunate because like Benoit never really had a defining championship run ever. He was, you know. TV champion like three times. He was WCW tag champions, like Dave just said. He was United States champion a couple times. And, and you know, and that was great, yeah. but I never felt like they put the title on him and they're like, we're going to base the division around him or we're going to, you know, really push yeah. him. It never happened that way for him, unfortunately. And, and it's funny, it ended with him, you know, I know you're going to get to it, Dave, but it ended with him winning the big prize and it just ended as fast as it started. 
Yeah. So before we get into that, I want to talk about the revolution real quick. Um, you know, he wins that U.S. Uh, oh, that's uh, right. It was called. They were revolution before they were radical. They were radicals in WWF. I'm sorry. Yeah, exactly right. So My fault. Malenko, Perry Saturn, Shane Douglas get together to form uh, the revolution. That's that heel stable of younger wrestlers. They felt slighted. And you could say that's real or kayfabe. Because that's the way to push true. younger wrestlers, you know, make them the heels. Absolutely. Yeah. Don't don't yeah. get the fan. And, don't and, get the fan. Don't use the fact that they've been held back for years and they're probably the most talented people in the room and, and make them faces so the fans will actually get behind them. Make them heels. Becky Lynch. Yep, that's the way you do it. That's the way you do it. Because <laughs> they tried to make Becky Hill. That Jesus worked out really Christ, good, like WCW. So yeah, I mean it, it's kind of funny. And they do. They they because of that they they get a, a major stronghold of fans. They really do. People really well. Love, the hardcore fans uh, like them and the people point. that follow the quote unquote dirt sheets at the time. The internet was kind of becoming yeah. household, you know, at that point. And people either traded dirt sheets before or started getting the early stages of the internet so they could go on there. And just people liked good workers. You know, the hardcore wrestling fans that never wanted to go away, that liked the in-ring yeah. product, always liked them. So no matter what, when they bunched together, people were going to cheer them. But again, like, when you're trying to get on that main stage and you're mainstream like WCW was, even in 99, as they were collapsing, they were still putting up good ratings and, and they were still one of the two big US promotions, you know, like heaven forbid you fucking put young guys in there that are the best workers. You push them as such as faces. So the crowd will get behind them. But instead like, yeah, they just make them heels and there's nowhere to go. Cause once you start cheering heels, what's the point of making them a heel again? And WCW, yeah, cause exactly. they have no patience um, would just be like, Oh, they're getting cheered as heels. Fucking break them up. Fuck them. Don't yeah, resign. And em. what's funny. Be- yeah. Because of that, Shane Douglas, they, they form a little small storyline where, Shane Douglas uh, basically questions Benoit's heart and Benoit turns face and moves away from Revolution. And he wins the TV title one more time, defeating Jeff Jarrett in a ladder match. I hear that one's pretty good as well. Go check it out. Uh, Benoit wrestled Bret Hart as a tribute to Owen Hart, who had recently died. Uh, we've, we've talked about that in our archives as well. Hart actually defeated Benoit by submission, and they received a standing ovation and an embrace from the guest ring announcer. Oh, that's he pushed that's him into it, trying to cross the legs. He's going to try to put him in the sharpshooter. He got it. He got it. He got it. Look at that ring positioning in the middle of the ring. But he's not giving up. Benoit's not giving yes, up. Yes, he is. He can only take so much. It's over. Um, but all of that happening, Benoit was really ha- really unhappy working for WCW. One last attempt to keep him there, they actually put the vacant WCW title on him, as Jess was uh, alluding to. He defeated Sid Vicious at Sold Out, but due to disagreements with management and uh, protest the promotion of Kevin Sullivan. Well, yeah, well, Kevin Sullivan uh, was Booker him. again, and so that was the whole thing is like Bischoff got you know, suspended and then Russo came in and then Russo lasted like three months and then they fucking shit on him too. So then Kevin Sullivan found himself back in charge in early, early, early 2000 WCW. So they didn't want to lose Benoit. They didn't want to lose Guerrero. They didn't want to lose those guys. So they're like, look, if we put the title on Benoit, what do you think? Are you going to stay? And they're like, well, it depends on how you treat us afterwards. Like they're no dummies. Like, right. Like they just, cause you put the title on me. doesn't mean you're going to push me right. And it's going to advance. It's going to help the company. You're going to sabotage my run. So he was always wary of Kevin Sullivan for good reason, I guess. And I'm not saying Kevin Sullivan earned it in the back. I, I've never heard that he was vindictive, but at the same time, like Benoit was just paranoid. So he was like, because I'm with woman or Nancy, you know, you're still out to get me. You've always been out to get me and you know, let's put the title, but they shot it in a way where they knew that Benoit's contract was up and, uh, or they were going to give him his release. One of the two, I don't remember. Um, 
So basically, they made sure that Sid had his foot outside the ropes when Benoit made him tap from the Crippler Crossface at, at uh, Sold Out 2000. So Benoit won the championship on the pay-per-view and was a recognized WWE Heavyweight Champion. But the next night, uh, he decided to leave because he just felt he wasn't going to be treated right and he didn't really want to stay. He didn't feel right about it. So they vacated the title and Benoit's championship reign lasted like a day or two or something like that. It was nuts. Like it was just. Yeah, and some people, yeah. they're saying now it's not even recognized as lineage on WCW.com. Well, of course. It stinks. He's got the cross face. He's got the cross face on. Pull back, pull back. He just tapped. It's over. He just tapped. It's over. We got a new world champion, guys. Benoit wins it. Benoit wins it. Benoit wins it. Finish. Yeah, because they're dicks, so it's okay. Well, they're not um, dicks. He murdered so, yeah, people. Two, two, well, you know, that's that's later. Benoit left the company Bye. the next day alongside with Eddie Guerrero, Dean Malenko, and Perry Saturn. Like you said, Burr. forfeiting that title in the process. However, the WWF does recognize Benoit's title win, <laughs> and it's still listed at WWE.com for the WCW title lineage. Uh, but anyway, he spent the next few weeks in Japan before finally heading to WWF, um, who has acknowledged that championship and presented him as a former world champion uh, when they brought him over. Well, old Stoke Cold is going to have to take this one home and end it there for ya kids. Because that was part one of the legacy. A tragedy of Chris Boom. Wah. Stay tuned for King of the Ring Picks Part 2. And next week, we will continue the legacy and tragedy of Chris Benoit with Part 2. This has been our wrestling podcast don't forget to subscribe to your our wrestling channel on youtube follow us on soundcloud at our wrestling podcast and on instagram at owp2019 stoke don't steve austin yeah